Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. As I read the Bible this week, I continued to have this question kind of running through my head, and it, and it really has become the basis for this morning's sermon. But I kept asking myself the question, is my love growing up or is it growing cold? And I would ask you the question this morning, is your love growing up or is it growing cold? Matthew twenty four twelve through 14 says this, Jesus is talking about signs of the end. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Francis Frangipane, commenting on this text, writes, Is your love growing and becoming softer, brighter, more daring, and more visible? Or is it becoming more discriminating, more calculating, less vulnerable, and less available? This is a very important issue, for your Christianity is only as real as your love is. A measurable decrease in your ability to love is evidence that a stronghold of cold love is developing within you. Is your love growing and becoming softer, brighter, more daring, and more visible? Or is it becoming more discriminating, more calculating, less vulnerable, and less available? In this text in Matthew 24, there's uh, two types of Christians described. Not two types of people. These are two types of believers coming into the end of the age. One group turns away from the faith. They betray people. They hate. And then Matthew 24 says this, that their love grows cold. There's another group of people. You know, really what's sad, too, about this first group of people is that it says the love of most will grow cold. That this first group is not the exception, it's the rule. That this first group's not the minority, this, church, this group is the majority. And then there's a second group, and this second group stands. This second group endures. And it's a, parting, it's a part of seeing the gospel um, of the kingdom go global. And here at Radiant, we want to be a part of that second group. The group that stands, the group that endures, um, the group that sees the gospel go forth. We want to be a gospel people. 
doing gospel things for gospel reasons. A gospel people doing gospel things for gospel reasons. A group that endures and sees the kingdom go. The name of our church, Radiant Church, um, I think at times sounds kind of conceited. I guess that we would say that about ourselves. I always think it's kind of funny that every church that starts is first. It's always first Presbyterian, you know, first assembly. And I'm, I'm, I'm really hope to live to see the day when somebody takes the name last, last Presbyterian, <laughs> last assembly. But I really did, when we thought about naming the church Radiant Church, I thought, well, that's kind of a, I don't know, kind of a proud thing to say about ourselves. But then what I started to realize is that I didn't say it. God said it about his church. And um, and that it would be just as proud to... Um, to ignore it. Ephesians says that Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Becoming a radiant church has nothing to do with our effort. Becoming a radiant church has everything to do with yielding to a plan that's already been set in motion. It's about us participating with his plan for his church. Every time the Bible uses the word radiant, it's used to describe something God's done and not something that we've done. Every time the word's used, it's used to describe what God has done. Psalm 34 says that those that look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. We've been talking about love for the last few weeks. Actually, what's coming up on the last few months, because it's just been broken up. But we've been talking about love as a church. And I just want to remind you again today, before we launch out into talking about love, I just want to remind you to look to him. Look to him. Look to Jesus. He's the author, the perfecter of your faith. I think, I don't know about you guys, but um, I'm forced to preach this stuff, uh, which is difficult when your life doesn't seem to be lining up with it, you know? You stand up here and, I don't know, there's been weeks in the past few months where I've just felt ashamed. I felt mad, I felt frustrated. Um, I can see in myself that my words and my actions are contrary to one another, making me a hypocrite. And again, I've, I've at times struggled with being really self-focused as we've talked about love. And, it's, and a few things have become really um, apparent to me. One of them is that spiritual fruit and spiritual gifting are two different things. And that's tough. Because we don't employ people at churches because they bear spiritual fruit. We employ people at churches because they're spiritually gifted. And this is the point that Paul's trying to make in 1 Corinthians 13 is that these two things aren't the same thing. 
Spiritual fruit is not spiritual gifting, and spiritual gifting doesn't necessarily mean spiritual fruit. Spiritual fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. I guess I recognize in myself that there's a, there's a spiritual gifting and, um, and, and, and maybe not as much spiritual fruit as I'd like to see coming from my life. And if you are recognizing a lack of fruit, hopefully I'm not alone. Am I alone over the last month or so? Everyone's like, yeah, there is a gap <laughs> in your life. If you're recognizing a, a lack of fruit in your own life, that you're not producing these things, that these things don't seem to be falling from your branches <laughs> for the neighbors to eat, um, I just want to encourage you again this morning, look to him, run to him. Those that look to him will never be covered with shame, and there have been times in the last month where I've felt ashamed, and um, not a bad thing, but abide in him and you'll bear fruit. It'll come. Abide in him, you'll bear fruit. Run to him, look to him, worship him, the fruit will come. I'm standing on Paul's words for this church when he says, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Last week, uh, 1 Corinthians 13 defined love for us. For the last couple weeks, we've talked about uh, God's love for us. We've talked about love as it's defined in 1 Corinthians 13. And they've been kind of meaty um, sermons. Uh, today's not going to be like that. I, 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 I'm so thankful that I get paid to read the Bible. <laughs> I really am. I, I'm really thankful to you guys that you, you pay me um, to put my face in here and... Um, I really appreciate it, but one of the problems is, is that you keep reading things and you're convinced people got to hear this. Oh, they got to get this. This is so good, you know, and you just keep adding more and more to it until uh, nobody gets anything because you've, um, it's just too thick. <laughs> so 1 Corinthians 13, last week it defined love for us. Love doesn't envy it doesn't parade itself. It is not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. For tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then shall I know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three but the greatest of these is love. Is your love growing up or is it growing cold? 
If we're going to love the way that this text tells us to love, we talked about it last week. Um, Quite a standard has been set for us. If we're going to love, I'm convinced that we're going to have to put some childish things behind us. Paul writes, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. And Paul here specifically is talking about the gifts. And we'll talk more about this, but I don't believe that Paul's trying to say that if we mature, we won't need the gifts. He's saying that if we mature, we will not overemphasize the gifts. Especially to overemphasize gifts at the expense of love. And we'll, we'll have a good old... Uh, debate here as we talk about how we serve the church. We'll talk about how we believe that the gifts are for today. So a lot of people use this passage um, to support their idea that the gifts have ceased. And um, yeah, and, w- and we'll talk more about that. So I- I'm asking you today, I guess this morning, I, I want to ask our church, like, what are the childish things that you need to give up on? What are the childish things that you need to put away, that you need to do away with in order to love like this? When you were a child, you spoke like a child, you reasoned like a child, you thought like a child. Now you've become a man, you've become a woman. It's time to put these childish things behind us. We've been called as Christians to mature, right? We know that, we're supposed to grow. We're supposed to leave behind childish ways. This is kind of, um, I'm just going to tell some, some, uh, some stories this morning. But I just think that there's, you've heard this before, but there's so many things that you get away with as a kid. There's so many childish things that are acceptable as a child. They're acceptable for a time. They're appropriate for a time. And as you mature, they're not appropriate anymore, right? There's a certain point where breastfeeding is not appropriate anymore, you know? There is a stage where it's pure, it's, it's beautiful, whatever you want to call it. And then there's a stage where if you're still up to that, you're gross, you know, and you need to get on. No joke. I, I think this is sad because this was Nepal, but uh, Tiff, you met a guy who breastfed until he went to war. Is that true? Yeah. He breastfed until he went to war, which, again, it's Nepal. He, I mean, I hope, I hope I'm not judging him because he was hungry, you know, because I know when you're hungry. But... But I am. I'm judging him. Uh, well, I'm off to war. Yeah, he probably went to war. It was probably, he was probably a child soldier, 12, 13. Um, a kiddie pool. If you're playing in a kiddie pool and you're two years old, I mean, it's precious. If you're 50 sitting, playing in a, in a kiddie pool, 
you know, someone's going to call the police. Um, you know, I was thinking this week because I was with Finley and I was like, um, you know, like uh, fat rolls are like really cute on a baby, you know, and I don't know at what point they cease to become cute, but it's, it happens, you know, somewhere along the line. You know, with Finley, we just pinch him and we're like, oh, look at this little fat roll right here, you know, and I would never touch your fat rolls. And uh, yeah. and if I did, I would never say, look at this little chunk right here. You couldn't pay me to touch you know, somebody's fat rolls the way I touch Finley's fat rolls. And I don't know when it is that it's just not cute anymore, but there's a certain age where it's just not right, you know? And, uh, yeah. And if you did, you know, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I actually might do it if you paid me, but, um, so, so we've been called to mature and, and do away with childish things. And there are things that are right and appropriate for a time. And then when we get older, we, we put away those things. And this is the, Paul, this is the point that Paul's making. Um, what's interesting, though, is that the scriptures call us to mature. The scriptures call us to put away childish things. But then we've also become, we've been called to become childlike, Right? I thought that was kind of interesting to think about uh, Jesus telling us to put away childish things and then telling us to become uh, like a child. And, you know, it says that truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. We're called to maturity in Christ, but even as we mature, God still calls us his children. Even when we grow up in him. And, and what most people think is that there's a difference between these words, that there's a difference between, between, <laughs> between being childlike and childish. And there's some childish things that we need to get rid of. And I believe that there's some childlike things that we need to grow in. There's a difference between the two. And I think, I, I think this, that if your love is childish... In the end, it will grow cold. But if your love is childlike, in the end, it will grow up. If your love is childish, it'll grow cold. If your love is childlike, it'll grow up. Childish is, the, I guess, the downside to being a child, and, and childlike is the upside. And for anyone who's here and has kids, you understand that there's a downside and an upside to their temperaments. So I want to I talk to you about a few things that I think are childish that we need to put away as a church, that we need to get rid of. And I, I want to talk about a few things that are childlike that I believe that we need to grow in. So the, the, the first thing... And I, I, ha, I watched uh, all five kids for a while yesterday for actually Isaac and Bella. And so I have a lot of ammunition today. Um, but one of the childish things that we need to do away with is, is seeking attention. 
I think kids are amazing. I think they get really annoying when they're seeking attention. First Corinthians 13 says of love that it doesn't parade itself. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. We naturally want to be the center of attention and we think that the world revolves around us. I wish that this was just a problem for kids. We naturally, we want to be the center of attention. As we mature in Christ, we learn to take responsibility for the world around us. And I don't know about you guys, but I love watching kids that don't know that they're being watched. It's like the purest form of entertainment. When I walk back into the room and Avery is having a full-blown conversation with herself, and there are other characters that she's created in the room, it's just so incredible to watch kids that don't know that they're being watched. Are you an immature, attention-seeking Christian? Do you only take on activities that put you in the spotlight or next to the people who are in the spotlight? Is your deepest desire to be seen by men? Or are you good at doing the jobs that don't get noticed? Are you content to work behind the scenes? Some of us do really well here at Radiant when there's a glamorous ministry offered us, something that's up front, like leading, music, preaching, prophesying, giving a testimony. But what I'm noticing is that these jobs have a, have a payoff, don't they? And some of the other things that we do around here at Radiant Church don't have the same payoff. This shows up in a couple different ways at Radiant, but, you know, we've never had someone not show up to be a part of a worship team. We've never asked someone to preach here at Radiant and have them not show up to preach. Because the people on worship teams and the person preaching understands the importance of who they are in the church and what they have to give that morning. But we have had quite a few people who are called to set up or serve our kids in the morning who don't show up. And this isn't a guilt thing, but what it, uh, I guess what it reveals to me is that you don't understand the importance of who you are here and the importance of the role that you have. Is your love seeking attention? This is kind of one of the childish things that I think we need to give up in order for our love as a church not to grow cold. What's interesting is that we don't overcome our desire for attention by going without attention. We don't overcome our desire for attention. Everyone has it. We don't overcome it by going without it. We overcome by recognizing that you have the attention of heaven. 
We overcome by understanding that we have a heavenly father who sees. And we've got a dad who applauds what's done in secret. He actually likes it more than my preaching. I guarantee it. If you think that what your heavenly father is excited about is what I'm doing up here this morning, you're wrong. This is the revelation that sustains us, knowing that we have his attention. If the attention from others is our motivation for love, then your love will grow cold. If attention from others is your motivation to love, then your love will grow cold. The other childish thing that we need to stop doing um, is, is, uh, is blackmail. I, don't, I, don't know, I didn't know any other way to put it. Uh, we've got to stop blackmailing each other. This is pretty childish. The way it shows up in a child is like this. I don't like what's going on. I'm taking my ball and going home. That's my controller. I'm taking my controller and I'm going home. Again, I wish that this were just an issue that kids dealt with. This is a huge issue in the church. And I think not just a huge issue for us in the church, but a huge issue relationally. When we don't get our way on a particular issue, we withdraw. And we don't participate, and we withhold our love. This happens in relationships when we only give love when it's like earned. Do you hear um, withhold as a means to punish people? Do you withdraw if things don't show up the way you think they should? Do you withhold your love when people, jo- when people don't show up the way you thought they should? Do you participate only when the conditions are perfect? If people responding to our love and reciprocating our love is our motivation for love, our love will grow cold. These people never respond the way you think that they should. And if our motivation for loving someone is seeing them receive it or reciprocate it the way we think they should, our love will grow cold. I kind of see this sometimes when people don't uh, feel like they've been included, they didn't ask me, they didn't need me, so I'm not going to put myself out there. I'm not going to actually say that I want to be involved. They didn't ask, so I'm taking what I've got, taking what God's given me, and I'm going home. The other thing that's crazy about kids, this happened all day yesterday, is they always need a payoff. They need a reward or an incentive to do anything. Anything. I spent my whole day bribing kids, you know? And I'm not talking about, like, eat this okra and I'll give you ice cream. 
At one point, I was in the car, and I was telling him, you, you have to eat these chicken McNuggets before you play at the park. You know, this isn't broccoli. I'm begging the kids in the car to eat McDonald's, you know? And I'm like, what is wrong with these kids, you know? <laughs> you have to eat these, these fries. Please eat these fries. Sit down and eat your fries. We'll play soon. If you eat these fries, I'll push you on the swing, you know? It's like everything has to be this incentive, and it gets so old. It's so tiring with the girls. And it's really tiring as a church to continue to have to put incentives out in front of people, you know? Almost like bribing them to involve themselves in community or in something that we're up to as a church. I can't say this is much different for me, though. I'm always looking for the payoff. I'm always looking for the incentives. Love, we know, isn't self-seeking. Avery, a couple nights ago, we're praying. Let's pray for Papa. Okay, Avery prays for Papa. Lord, um, heal Papa's back so he can build me a tree fort. And at first I was kind of like, oh, no, that's not how we pray. And then I started to think, and I was like, no, that is how I pray. Some of you, you jump in, it, you jump in and you just ask what needs to be done. And there, there are others that are waiting for someone to spot their greatness and ask them to get involved. You know? <laughs> You know, like you're waiting, you're, you're reenacting goodwill hunting, waiting for someone to discover your genius and ask you to get involved here at the church. Just jump in, even if it's not perfect, um, even if it's not going the way you thought it was going to go, even if there aren't the same, uh, or there aren't the apparent payoffs that you thought there were going to be. This is so cool, again, because it isn't about, um, there are rewards. Jesus has promised some incredible stuff. But here's the thing about God, that he affirms us in who we are, not what we do. He typically affirms me in my identity, not in my productivity. God affirms us in our identity so that we can do from the place of being loved, We don't do in order to get God's love. We do because God loves us. It's a really important distinction. We want to trust and and be obedient, even if we don't see the payoff or reward immediately. Uh, We trust our dad to be faithful. And when you pray, Jesus says, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. If your love is need love and not gift love, as C.S. Lewis would say, if it's needing attention, if your love is is, uh, withholding, 
And if your love is always looking for an immediate payoff, it will not last. It will grow cold. So here's some of the things that are childlike and I think will cause us to, our love to grow up here in this church. Some of the things that we get to do, some of the things that are childlike. And, uh, and we know these things about kids. But kids have an incredible sense of wonder and an incredible joy. And we're called, we're not just called, we're commanded as Christians to delight ourselves in the Lord. We're called to enjoy ourselves. His glory and our enjoyment aren't separate from each other. We've, we've uh, lost a sense of wonder. We think we know, right? You know. You know how life works. You know churches. They all are like this. There's no sense of wonder. There's no sense of not knowing. There's no sense of questioning things. There's no sense of discovery. It's all that we've landed it. We, we like to, as adults, reduce things to manageable terms. And kids like to ex- explore the, the studio space. We like to reduce things. Oh, you know Travis. He's like this. Oh, you know Mike. Mike's like this. Oh, you know church. Church is like this. Oh, you know Visalia. These real general Big blanket statements. Where's your sense of of wonder? Your sense of joy? If you've got a sense of wonder and you've got a sense of joy, your love's going to grow up, not grow cold. Your love is going to mature. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Kids are receptive and open right? They're teachable. They've got a desire to discover. They're open to receive. They're open to be taught. Um, Many of us here today are not open to receive, and we are not open to be taught. These are difficult things to do as we get older. We typically shun other people's gifts of time we shun their energy, their money when we are in need because we are pretending to be self-reliant. Kids can't be self-reliant. They don't even have that option. And we even uh, get to the place that we turn down God's gifts because we don't need those things. We've got this. It's uncomfortable to be in need And I think uncomfortable to be taught. If your love remains receptive and open, it'll grow up and not grow cold. Kids are super emotionally honest, right? They show exactly how they feel in any given situation. It's not up for debate. If a kid is upset... It's pretty apparent that they're upset. If they're angry, you can see that. If they're excited, you can see that. If they're scared, you can see that. They're emotionally honest. How well do you express your love? Is it difficult to cry and open up? We're called to love God and serve God with not just ourselves, but I guess ourselves includes our emotions. 
If your love is emotionally honest, it'll grow up. It won't grow cold. Frangipane in that quote asks, is your love growing more visible? Is it more apparent than you're, that you're in love? Can it be seen? The other thing that we need to hold on to is a sense of adventure as a church. I love this about kids. Remy, every night uh, that we bathe her, she has a new bruise, a new cut, a new scab. It is something else. And I, was, I sometimes think to myself, like, when's the last time I skinned my knee? There's, uh, um, or for that matter, when's the last time I really took a risk? Because with, with Remy, she's taking risks all day. She's so far out in front of what she's capable of. She wants to run so much faster than she really can. And she pays for it. And I, I think that our love is pretty calculating and we like to play it safe, right? Yeah. When's the last time you've skinned your knee? I know, that, I know that I go to Sierra Summit now and I go the whole day without falling because I like to play it safe. It's not worth it to me anymore. And I remember days at Sierra Summit where I couldn't even ski the whole day because I had hurt myself by lunch. And I don't know what's gone on along the way, but I'm way less adventurous than I once was. And I don't take risks with my love. And I, I'm calling you. If, our, if, if your love is going to grow up and not grow cold, you're going to have to take risks. If you're going to fulfill the calling on your life, you're going to have to take risks. And it will result in cuts. It will result in bumps. And it will result in bruises. Paul writes, we've got this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Paul knew that he was taken a beating for a reason. Anyone who's achieved something great, they, they've taken a risk. Anyone who's achieved something great has taken a risk. And they've endured long periods of suffering and pain as a result of it. If your love is adventurous and taking risks, it will grow up and won't grow cold. Let me read this quote one more time. Is your love growing and becoming softer, brighter, more daring, and more visible? Or is it becoming more discriminating, more calculating, less vulnerable, and less available? This is a very important issue, for your Christianity is only as real as your love is. A measurable decrease in your ability to love is evidence that a stronghold of cold love is developing within you. 
What time is it? Quarter after. Great. I wanted to get into something else, but we're not going to this morning. What I want to say to you, though, is that it's not just our definition of love that's messed up. It's our motivation for love that's messed up. (laughs) That's the alarm. Church is over. (laughs) You know, why do we do it? Why do we love? I mean, Paul lays this gnarly gauntlet in front of us. Long-suffering. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not self-seeking. I mean, it's... Why? Why would we do this, you know? And if our motivation is anything other than God himself, it'll grow cold. We come out of the womb loving ourselves for our own sake. Then we hear about Jesus... And so we move to stage two, which is loving Jesus for our own sake. But somewhere along the line as Christians, we've got to get that we love God for God. We love God for God. We love God for God's sake. Then it goes even further, and I believe that we're called to love ourselves and love others for God's sake. So even our weakness, even our struggles, even our strengths and trials, we can receive them as opportunities to glorify God and not reject them because they don't bring us pleasure. We love God for God. This is our motivation. If your love is self-seeking, if you're loving others, For your own sake, I want to invite you this morning to love God for God's sake. And not just to love God for God's sake, but to love your brothers here in the church for God's sake and to love others for God's sake. If you're loving for your own sake, at some point you're going to go, this ain't worth it. I'm not getting as much as I'm giving. We love because God's called us to love and we love for his sake And for his glory. Our happiness together church is found in God, not from God. Jesus is not a means to an end for us. He is the end. God's not a key for us that unlocks a treasure box full of gold and silver. Job says this, The Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. We endure all things for the sake of Christ. David says even even we walk in paths of righteousness, not for our own sake, but for his name's sake. Paul writes, he's getting beat. I'm enduring this for Jesus' sake. I wanted to end our time because we're moving on from love. I know that there's probably quite a few other things that we could have talked about. But I've been listening a lot to a song that uh, Jared uh, Turner and Colette and a few others recorded. And so I wanted to end our time by having them share that song uh, with us. And um, thanks for, I guess, participating in this first installment. At Radiant Church, we believe that we're to love God 
love our brothers, and love others. But we don't do those things for our own sake. We do those things for God's sake. And so that is who we are as a church, and that's what we're wanting to do. I'm sure more will come in the future, but that's where we're at. We're moving on to talk about worship. So I'm going to pray, and Jared and Colette are going to come. Is that all right? God, we want to uh, put childish things behind us. I want to put away some childish stuff that I've been up to, blackmailing people, um, withholding, having a love that's kind of um, has to have some sort of immediate payoff. And Anyway, I want to give that stuff up, and I ask that you'd give our church a sense of wonder, a sense of joy, that you would give us, God, um, <laughs> the ability to take risks. That you'd allow us to be emotionally honest with the others. And that you'd be seen, uh, I guess, in and through our lives. We want to love you for you, not for what you can do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantbicelia.com. Until next time. There is a heavenly city that I'm compelled to find. Oh, I love the flowers and trees and the smell of the grinding sea. And all the beautiful things here in life And I